Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Be in Matthew. Well, we're going to be everywhere. So if you're not ready for that, we're everywhere. Um, it's really cold when we get here, and then it starts to warm up. So I feel like I'm pulling a Mr. Rogers right now. I don't know the. Oh. Uh, no, I can't do that. How many of you actually grew up watching it? I know there aren't a whole lot of you. Steve, really? Oh, he was like my uncle. That guy was the best. All right, so um, if you have any questions on the sermon, text them in at this number. This is also the branches number, so if you don't already have that contact in your contacts, please put it in. Um, that's how you can, you'll get information. We don't send a whole lot out, but we want to keep you up to date with what's going on, and that's how we do prayer requests. Um, but for this morning, I, doesn't mean, just because you type it in doesn't mean I'm going to address it immediately, because there may be a ton or it may not fit, but I want to make sure that when you're speaking, you don't know what questions are be brought up. And uh, this doesn't surprise anyone that's been here for a while, but sometimes when I'm speaking or someone else is speaking, we say something we didn't mean to say, and you're like, wait, did he mean to say that? And that's the perfect time to say, did you really want to say that? Because um, I think you're really off there. So that would be a perfect time to do that if you want. Um, this week, we had a situation in our house, and this is common where uh, my wife and I are talking about something, and so we were talking about a situation outside of our house, and I was thinking, because I was so drawn into the conversation, that it was just Stephanie and I talking. And then I looked over, and our little detective was over in the corner, and she gets a little bit lower, and she kind of gets low, almost like she's trying to hide. It's like she camouflages herself against the kitchen counter. And I realized she is paying attention to everything we say, everything we do. Like she's a student. She is a disciple. Because when you're a kid, you're soaking everything up, especially when you're a baby, right? So when I first had my children, I see people do it all the time. I thought it was the coolest little trick that if I stuck my tongue out, they'd put their tongue back out. So you do all these things trying to get him to copy you. And they, you think it's so cute, but they're just trying to figure out life. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing, so they're watching you. We're all disciples. Did you know that? 
Maybe not necessarily of Jesus, but we're all disciples. We're all students. We're all trying to copy. That's how we come out of the womb. And so children are copying everything we do. And then eventually you move from your parents. You're still connected with your parents, but you start paying attention to your teachers and your coaches. And you're learning about life. You're learning about how to think, how to react, what to believe from your coaches, your teachers, and then your peers starting getting involved in it. Wait, am I supposed to wear this? Am I supposed to be this size? Am I supposed to act this way? Am I supposed to be involved in these things? Is this what's important? Is this what matters? And then you move in towards those teenage years, and that's when everything starts to come apart because you know you're supposed to separate from your masters. Now, a disciple always has a master, right? And so you're separating from your parents. You're supposed to do that. None of us as parents really enjoy that. And as a teenager, you have no idea what you're doing. You just know, ah, oh, these people are so annoying. And so you want to go do your own thing. So you're trying to figure out, wait, and you don't consciously think through this, but you realize you're separating. You're separating and you're going to start choosing your own master. But as much as you want to change your own master, they've imprinted on you. Because that's what a, a disciple's goal is, is to copy their master, to imitate their master. And so as we're growing through those stages, we move out of the high school years and we start to notice characteristics in us. And we notice how much we are like our parents. And sometimes we're excited about it, but most of that time during those years, we're always complaining. And so we're like, oh my gosh, this temper I have, it's so my dad's fault, right? Or you start moving into marriage and then you, hopefully you've done a little study of the family of origin and how your family background is affecting your marriage. And so you realize there's all this imprinting that's gone on because you've been a disciple, you've learned, you've been shaped by those around you, by your environment. But we all have to reach a stage. We all have to reach a stage in our life where we decide, hey, who has taught me? Because we're an individualistic society. We like to think that we're on our own, we're doing this, but we're not. We've learned from our environment, we've learned from the masters that we've been around. And so we have to recognize that and then we have to ask the question, is that who I should be following? Is this the finished product? Is this where I need to stand or does something need to change? And we talked about it last week. Um, are you a Christian or are you a disciple? The crazy thing is, as we talked about, uh, Mike Wilkins, who lives here in the area, did a study of small groups in churches, just different groups, and asked them the question, are you a Christian? And so many of them, you know, super high percentage in the 90s said, yes. And then he asked, how many of you are disciples? And it dropped down low. Why is there a difference? Why is there a gap? So we're going to talk about that this week. I promised you we would. And so we're going to jump in. So I want you to go first to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Because what we need to do this morning is we need to, I want to first clarify again, Christian and disciple, um, because there is, there's not supposed to be a difference, but we need to know that Jesus came, remember he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul said the same thing. That word repent means to change, to change your mind, to change the way you think, because you're thinking a certain way. You've been trained up. You've been discipled to think a certain way. And Jesus is saying, you need to change the way you think. That's what repent means. I know so often we try to turn it into feel bad about what you've done. Repent. That's not what that means. That's not what the word means. It literally in Greek means 
to change your mind. Metanoia. And so Jesus, the expectation, the rhythm that he was in was, you need to listen to me because I am the son of God, because I want to bring you life, life to the full. And if you follow this old way, this old way of life, and you don't listen to my words that bring life, then you won't have that full life. So change your mind and listen to what I'm telling you. I come and I bring you the truth. He says, um, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Discipleship was a priority to him. He says here, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is what it looks like. They deny themselves. They take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, keep it the way it was. Just keep going the way you did. I don't want my daughter to grow up going, well, this is what dad and mom did. This is what my teacher said. This is how I'm going to do it. I want her to come to that place where she says, you know what? I don't want to keep this life anymore. It's not a bad life, but I want the life that God created me for. That's the life I want. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. In the Bibles we talked about, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the entire Bible. But the word disciple is mentioned 261 times. That's the priority here. That is what we are seeking. And so I want to make it crystal clear that that is the goal. And what it means to be a disciple means to begin to imitate Jesus and to begin to put on the life that he has for you, which means to slowly pull off the life that you had before. So as we look at that, though, what does that look like? Because here's the reality. In the church, and this is, there's been so many studies done on this that I didn't really want to pull them up because it's so obvious, but you can see it. What is the difference, really, between Christians and the world? There's not much. Look at study after study, whether it be marriage, whether it be mental health, whether it be the way they act in their community, the way they are as neighbors. It's, it ain't good. We don't look any different because we're living as Christians and not as disciples. We have to make it clear that we are called to be disciples. We're not joining a club. We're not converting into a group. In fact, we call Jesus our Savior. But remember, he is our Lord and Savior. The word Lord means boss. He's in charge. He's the master. Not a ruthless master, not a ruthless boss, but one that loves us and cares for us, loved us so much that he came and died for us as part of us having this new life. So what does this look like? I can tell you this. If you've gone through this before, if you've reached that point to recognize, whoa, I need to make this, I need to make this transition. I need to move in this direction. It's not easy. It's worth it. You don't want to go the other way, but it's not easy. So we're going to look at Paul, because what does this practically look like when you make a decision to go in a different direction? So Paul, as we see here, he talks about how he grew up as educated at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel, however you want to pronounce it. When he makes this transition, he's been shaped as a Pharisee. I mean, Gamaliel is a big deal. Like, if you have him as a rabbi, as a teacher, someone to model your life after, to have, you know those people that you go, wow, you know that person? 
you get to spend time with them. It's kind of like a big deal, like you're almost name dropping, right? That's what it is for Paul to say this. Like, I learned under the feet of Gamalet. What? It's like a big deal. But then this happens. He's walking. He's on his way to Damascus because underneath Gamaliel, underneath the Pharisee faith, imitating that, modeling his life after that, he's like, look at these Christians. This is a cult. I got to step in. We got to imprison them. So he's on his way to imprison. Literally, take, imagine if someone walked in here and said, oh, you're Christians. It's time to go to jail. And he had the authority to do that. That's what he's doing. And on his way, this is what happens. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. There's two key things I want you to notice here that apply to our life. He's asking a question. As we talked about several times before, when God is asking a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He wants you to ask the question of yourself. So Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me? Well, the answer is clear because he's grown up in this, this shaping. He's been a disciple of someone else and they've led him in a different direction. When the truth came, he couldn't recognize it. And so what happens next is, is that Jesus gives him directions. Now get up and go in the city and then you'll be told what to do. If you've ever had that happen in your life, and I have, you're thinking, can you give me a little bit more? Because this is kind of a big deal. Now, I've never been struck down, gone blind, had God speak from the sky, but I definitely had an encounter with God that made me change the whole direction. And even then, it was like, could you give me a little bit more? Because I was going in this direction, and going in that direction is kind of scary. And so he goes, and this is the step of going from... Um, being a disciple of someone else to a disciple of Jesus. You have to be active. This is not a passive decision. This isn't just, hmm, that sounds good. Like he goes, and he goes, and he starts pursuing the disciples. They don't want him around. In fact, he's still blind, and the Lord comes to Ananias and says, hey, there's a guy named Saul from Tarsus. Ananias knows who that guy is. Oh, you mean the guy that comes and kills all the Christians and imprisons us? Yeah, that guy. Hey, I need you to go to him. Whoa, 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 Lord. You do know that's the guy, right? Like, seriously? But the Lord is his boss. And this is what the Lord tells Ananias. Not like, hey, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen to you. Everything's good. He doesn't say that. He says, go. I have chosen him. So imagine Ananias. This is what it means to be a disciple. When God says, go, you go. Why? Because you're building your house on the solid foundation. Not on sand. And so he goes. So when he comes to Jerusalem, Paul tries to join the disciples. Because this is a group. They're all sold out, right? They're committed. They're devoted. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Why would you think that, right? Not only is your life at stake, but are you serious about this? There's in, not only in churches around the world, but here at Branches, is there going to be somebody like Barnabas that stands up for you and goes, no, 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 don't worry. This guy's with us. 
I know he's a disciple. I know he's committed. He's not just going through the motions. He's serious about it. And so Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, we're not going to go too far in that direction, but did you catch that? He's made a decision to follow Jesus for just a few days here, and now he's going out into public and telling people. So you don't have to know a whole lot. You just have to know what you know. And so Paul, as he's going out, is probably just saying, hey, this is what happened to me. Really, what else can he say? He has to go and spend time with the other disciples because that's what you do. When you make that decision to follow Jesus, you've got to be around other disciples to learn how this works. And here's the thing about our culture, and we can't tell the difference between the Christians and the non-Christians. And I was wrestling with this, so I found something. And as I looked at it, I thought, this is for our culture today. It's different from Paul's time. When you're a Christian back then, you get killed or you get imprisoned. You lose your job. You get separated from your family. They had to pay a high price, but we don't have to. So we, in our culture, although the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, today, you just have to believe that Jesus is who he is and people call themselves Christians. That is not accurate. We, well, let's look at it. I want to define, uh, I took this, I adapted it from, uh, there's an article in Relevant Magazine, and I took it and I tweaked it a little bit because I thought it was so beautiful. He said, Christians, the writer said, Christians look like the world, but disciples are intent to look like Jesus. I want us to hold on to a few of these words, intent. Like you can tell when someone's serious about it. And when we talk about looking like Jesus, this is really important to understand. We are not trying to copy the life that Jesus lived. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> you are not the son of God. However, when we talk about trying to look like Jesus, we're asking this question. If the Lord had my life, how would he live it if he was me? How would he live it if I was retired? How would he live my life if he was a nurse? How would he live my life if he made teeth? How would he live my life if he was a physical trainer? If he made movies? If he's a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom or a professor or a business owner or a salesman or a saleswoman? How would Jesus live this life? How would he live this life as a coach? I had an experience this week. I'd heard all, I've seen, seen people talk about this fireman named Dave Rosa that had passed away. And when you hear something that you're disconnected from, you're bummed. You're like, oh, that stinks for their family and their kids. And then I realized just two days ago, I knew this guy. I'd seen the picture, but I didn't recognize it because his mustache looked all tweaky. But I knew him. I coached against him for years. Our two oldest were baseball players. They made all-stars. They do all the traveling team things. And so he was in San Juan and I was in San Clemente. I didn't know that he went to church, but I can tell you I knew he was a disciple. Because 
I, there was a connection. I would talk with him. He'd ask me how I was doing, and there was this interaction. He looked like Jesus. And all I knew him as was a coach. I didn't know what he did for a living. It's when we talk about looking like Jesus, taking your life and saying, Lord, this is your life. How would you live it if you were me? Show me, teach me. Christians go to church. Disciples are the church. The word church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. That is the definition of a disciple. One who has called themselves out from the way that they've been living their life, from the coaches and the teachers that they've assigned themselves to or been assigned to, and they've said, you know what? I'm called out, and I'm going to be with others that are called out, and we're going to follow Jesus together. Christians are involved in the mission of Jesus. But disciples are committed to it. And I think that sticks out because we can be involved. I mean, there's so many amazing churches that are doing so many great things, so many activities. You can go to those activities. But there's a difference when you're committed to it. You can't do everything, but when there's something where you're like, no, this is important. This is what I feel like the Lord would do. Not only would he share the truth, but he'd care for the last, the lost, and the least. Eric led a group on uh, yesterday, and they went down to Mexico. Eric, I said, would you do this? Would you take this over? Because Dave moving to Texas, and we didn't have someone. He's like, I'm on it. In fact, he wanted to take it on before. He's like, someone needs to do this, and if nobody's doing it, I'll do it. There's that transition where you find your place, where you see the needs, and you fill the need. You can't do everything. So this doesn't mean that disciples are committed to every single activity of the body of Christ. But he has shaped you a certain way, and what are you, where's your place? Christians, they cheer and debate from the sidelines. Okay, I gotta focus on that word debate. <laughs> we gotta stop. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you need to get off of Facebook. Like, you just need to sign out and don't sign in again. And some of you are saying things in coffee houses and restaurants because you think other people aren't listening. This is not what we do, okay? We don't have all the answers. Not only do we have Christians arguing against non-Christians because we have all the answers, but we're arguing against other Christians because, well, I'm right and you're wrong. Do you not remember the election we just went through? This is what a disciple does. Disciples are in the game. And I especially love this next one. Disciples ask a lot of questions. That's what we do. Not only of our Lord, but of those we disagree with because we're students. That's the word disciple. Once we move to know-it-alls, we've stepped out of being students and disciples. This is so rampant in our culture. And let's use Paul again as an example. Paul, he is a big deal. Like, I want to use a bunch of other words that really aren't churchy words, but that's how you would describe him. And so when he's coming in with these disciples, these taxmen, these fishermen, these stay-at-home moms, he's around all of these disciples, he has every right to come in and go, I basically went to Harvard, Okay. Like, I got a lot of degrees. I've been doing this church thing for a while. You know, you've seen me. 
I kind of roll with the big boys. I mean, I was imprisoning some of you, so you know I've got clout. He has every reason to be arrogant, to have all the answers to debate, and yet he comes in and he's asking these fishermen questions. He's asking, he's moldable, he's teachable. When we lose the place in life where we're not asking questions, where there's not a possibility that we could be wrong, that maybe we, even what the Lord teaches, when we look at his word, we can't come and have confirmation bias. Yep, says exactly what I thought it did. We have to be willing to have a discussion, a dialogue with each other where we're listening because maybe some of that imprint from us growing up or from others that were wrong is seeping in and it needs to be transformed and it needs to be changed. That's what Christians do. That's what disciples are supposed to do, to be teachable. And when you ask a question, you're making yourself teachable. Not the question that's actually a statement, but the real question. Christians are about believing. So are disciples. But disciples are apprentices because they believe. I mean, if you want to sum this up, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. God recklessly loves us. And that's why he's calling us to follow him. Christians seek comfort. Disciples make sacrifices. There's nothing wrong with comfort. It's not like, oh, my bed, it works really well. I should get rid of it. I should sleep on the floor. My car starts every morning. You know what? That's not a good plan. I should ride a bike. Or you know what? Let me get that car that's really not, that's not what this is saying. There's nothing wrong with comfort. But we need to know that disciples, that if we're imitating Jesus, we are living to pour our lives out for others because we know that our God poured it out for us. And so you wake up every morning knowing that your life is a living sacrifice. We don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world trying to look like it, but instead we live our life like a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God because this is what worship looks like. By the way, I love it when my buddy Chris and his wife Cheryl are moving. In our church, it's really quiet. And whenever Chris is here, I know he's like, amen, right on, blah, blah. So if you're wondering who that is, who's the weirdo? That's a disciple. That's disciple Chris and disciple Cheryl, and they're moving to Colorado. He was, he, he was leading the church South Coast International, and they're moving to Colorado to train other pastors and churches and be involved in a, in a well, worldwide mission. So... If you're wondering who that is, that's a disciple. Christians come to be fed. Have you heard that phrase? <laughs> Let's not use that phrase anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Because if we're coming to pour our life out, we're trusting the Lord's going to feed us. But our job is to what? As disciples, we look for ways to feed others. And no matter what you're doing, there's nothing that's lower than what someone else is doing. And last one, Christians seek to succeed in the world. Disciples know that he, he, our Lord and Savior, has already won. You don't have to perform for anybody. You don't have to please anyone. We live for the Lord.
So what do we do with that? What, what should it look like? Well, there's, there's great people that we have to learn from, the early church, because they were sitting with Jesus the whole time, walking with him. And so when he died and rose again, came back, hung out with him for some more time, showed himself to 500 people, stayed, and then rose again, they had a pretty good idea how to start. They didn't have it mastered. And that's something we need to understand as disciples. You're never going to have this perfected. We're always students. We're always in this process of change, right? Repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a process, a process of being reformed. And God's going to do that work. I so badly want to go on a whole nother sermon on the Holy Spirit because that's what's going to do this work, but we don't have time for that. That's another time. But the early disciples, they were the church. And this is what it looked like. They committed themselves to the, to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Now, that's from the message translation. So it's written in different ways, but it's pretty simple. Um, the way I have it memorized is they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. Did the apostles come up with this on their own? No, they did what Jesus taught them. Matthew 28, go and make disciples, teaching them everything that I've taught you. And so these disciples are teaching everything that they've learned as they've walked with Jesus. Not just doctrine, but how to live. So they devote themselves to the apostle teaching to fellowship. And I put the life together because fellowship, that word's only used in church and nobody really knows what it means. It means to do life together. And it doesn't mean, okay, now we need to get together. Let's all look serious and let's talk churchy religiousy. And No, it means doing life together. It means laughing playing, going out to eat, saying, ooh, it's too expensive to go out to eat. Let's go eat at your house, and you're going to make me food. Or we go and play at each other's pool. Like when Russ was talking earlier about um, July 13th, it's really just an excuse to hang out. And wouldn't it be cool if you had some people playing some awesome music? Yeah, I'd like that. Let's... Now, did the disciples say, okay, let's get together our calendar? No, they just lived life. So it's doing life together with each other. Now, that doesn't mean the disciples don't interact with the world. That's what we do. In fact, most of you are here because someone that's a disciple was walking alongside you, and then you started coming with them. That's not our only goal. Our goal is to love them and care for them. We give them the opportunity to know who Christ is and what he's done in our life. But regardless of the decision, we still love on them and care for them. But there is a significant step that disciples make where they are devoted it says the word committed here. I love the word devoted because it's like, it's like the word you only use maybe in marriage or something else. But this wasn't just something they kind of did when it fit in. They were committed to it. They made it part of their schedule, part of their routine, part of their life, that they would look into God's word and they were committed to being with each other. Now I want to take a little detour here. I want you to stop and I want you to look around. Now, I know when I say this, you're really not going to look around, but I mean it. I'm not going to move forward until you look around. Because these are the type of people you're supposed to walk with. And if you look around, I know they freak you out. Because unless there's people you really know that you've kind of vetted, that you've brought through your internal filter, the idea of being devoted to spending time with them, you're like, forget that, Jack. But that's what we have to be devoted to, to being out of our comfort zone. It is not comfortable to walk and do life together with other people. 
But as Christians, we need to be devoted to it. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. Look at, look at the early disciples. And when we say disciple, we're not just talking about the 12, okay? The disciples, all of those that gave their life over and said, Lord, you're now my teacher. This group of people that are following you, I'm gonna follow them as they're following you. You're my master, you're my boss, you're my Lord. Not just my savior, but my Lord. Set my life the way it should be. And they would take the common meal. So we're, we're gonna take communion. We take communion once a month. Some people do it every Sunday. Some people only do it once a year at Passover. The point is, is communion, because it says the breaking of bread, it's a mixture there. This early church, these early disciples, they were in this habit of taking communion together. And we just had like a little piece of bread, a little bit of uh, juice, and we dip it. But Paul talks about it. He had to like coach them because they were messing up communion. How do you mess up communion? Because some people were coming and eating the food. And you know when you go to those hotels and they have that uh, buffet and you take the food and you start putting your purse or your pockets or your jacket? People were doing that at communion. And then they would have the wine, and so people were taking communion. They weren't little cops. You know, I'm going to have another one. And I think I'm going to have another one. So they're abusing this. With, so we're not going to talk about the abuse part of it, but communion was a meal together. They would eat together. We need to be in the habit of not only having this time of communion, but also having these other times where we eat together. Like we have this docent thing that the Burnett said, this needs to happen. They saw a need, they filled a need. It's biblical. Let's go out and be together. And they got some good food there. Come on, let's do this thing. That's what that's about. Well, are we going to share the Lord? Are we going to go table to table? Do we really need to? This is, there's a time for that, but this is a time for us to share the common meal. It's not too common. I mean, they have Cubanos and all these weird food. It doesn't matter where you go, and it doesn't have to be to docent, but getting together with other believers, the freaky people around you, and sharing a meal together. And they were committed, devoted to prayer. They were devoted together. Now, prayer, I know when I hear that word, I always think, oh, do you think what I'm thinking when we talk about prayer, or are you going to go for like an hour? Because I have a hard time praying with other people for like a super long time. I, I just do. That doesn't mean it's wrong. But you have this thing in your head where prayer is supposed to be a certain way. It's very simple. You're talking to God and you're listening to God and we do it together. So in a gathering like we're doing this morning when we do this, when we pray, we're literally praying together. We want you, whoever's leading in prayer for you to join in, to have your heart go where their heart's going. We're inviting God in. It's not just some ritual we do, but we're literally inviting God into this place to guide us and to lead us. So what does that look like today, though? What does it look like? So these are some of the ways that I see it. These are things we can do. Be devoted to Jesus' teaching. Like, you have a Bible, right? If you don't, take the one that's here. There should be on the tables. Go in the back. You don't even have to be sly about it. Just go, boom, taking this. It's yours. If you have your own, it should have no dust on it. If you're using yours on your phone, highlight it. Is my son in here? No, okay. I just bought him a Bible. And it's 
like people used to tell me, well, I didn't grow up in a church, but I used to think that you weren't supposed to write in a Bible. <gasps> How dare you? Well, then finally I looked around, imitating others, I'm like, oh, you can do this? Man, I have Bibles upon Bibles just written in. Now I just do it on the computer. It's got marks everywhere. And so I bought him this Bible where on the side you can just make marks galore and take notes. That's, a, that's what we need to be devoted to. It needs to be a habit and a ritual. You will miss days. You may even miss weeks. But you're in your heart going, no, this is who I am. This is what I've decided and I'm devoted to it. There needs to be that pattern. And we need to be devoted to learning life from other mature believers. Mature doesn't always mean they have gray hair. Now, we have some gray hair, not as much as other, some of you are pointing at other people right now. Thank you for that, helping me out. But there are, there are people that have been walking with the Lord. Be decisive. To be a disciple doesn't mean someone comes, taps you on the shoulder. Paul didn't wait for that. He came charging into a group that he freaked out and said, I need to learn. Will you help me? And you know what they said? No. Did he give up? No. So you may go to someone. You may go to someone that's here at this church and say, I need you to coach me. Do not be surprised if they say, I'm sorry. I'm like with four other people and I got my job and my seven kids and I would love to. It has nothing to do with you, but don't give up. All right, you're missing out because I'm going to be a big deal someday. The Lord's going to use me in powerful ways. And this other person I'm going to ask, and then you go to someone else. You don't need to talk them down that way. But you go to somebody else, you pursue this. To be a disciple is a decision that you make. You've been invited. The Lord, there was this tradition where the rabbis would only choose the best of the best. You know who Jesus chose? Just some dudes. Just some ladies. They had no, nothing special about them in the world. But they're people. They're human beings. And they're created in the image of God. And so if they were willing, he was going to make them into something special, what he created them to be. Do normal life together with others who seek God. Be devoted to this. Notice that the word devoted is in there consistently. I did that on purpose. I wanted you to keep seeing that. It's not something we just think about. We adjust our schedules. We have to let go of some things to add this. As I look at this, there's so many different ways that you can do that here at Branches. Or if you're visiting from another church, they have small groups, they have men's groups, they have women's groups. We had a women's group that met this week. There's a men's group that meets every Monday morning at 6.30 a.m. And I know for some of you, you're like, whew, what? They're devoted. They're committed. And they're going to Harbor House. And I know some of the guys are there. They don't like any of the food there. They're health freaks. But they go there because they're committed to each other. Some of you had a hard time, right, because you're big Harbor House lovers. All right. Just get your heart checked. <laughs> a little bit of grease there, just saying. But the thing is they're committed to get into one of those groups. Or maybe that's such a big jump for you that maybe there's some people here. You're like, I need to start meeting with you. Well, we've got children. We can't do it because we... So what? Get with some other people with children. Have your children just run around like crazy. Be committed to being with each other. Be devoted to meeting others for worship. I mean, that's what this time is. And this isn't the only time. On Wednesday night, the ladies got together for worship. Worship is not just music. That's an expression of worship. But it's not what worship is. 
Worship is giving your life and handing it over. That's what worship is. Handing over our voices, handing over our time, handing over our lives. And it's getting together with other friends because they become friends. And you, you do life together, even when you disagree on, on things. In uh, September, I keep bringing this up because I want it to be in your head. We're going to try to push people who aren't already in a men's group or already in a women's group or who really want to seek the Lord more. We're going to start this, these things called triads. We had them before, and we're going to do it again. We're groups of three, because that way it's kind of easy. Or you can go to four if you want. If you go to five, go ahead, just don't tell us. But you have these groups of guys, three and four, five, and these group of ladies, three or four, that are pursuing the Lord together. They're getting in the word and they're making a commitment to be together for a year. <gasps> whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to like stretch it out too far. Devoted to imitate Jesus. And the last one. Be devoted to the talking and listening to God. This has to be your habit in our life. And it's so weird that it's so hard to do. Even if it's just five minutes in the morning, five minutes a night, make that a starting point. Maybe you're going to get to the point where you take like a day a month and you go away into solitude. And then the next month you don't do anything. It's creating that habit, that pattern, that rhythm in your life of talking to God and listening because he will speak to you. He will show up if you're expectant. But if we don't show up, we won't know this full life that he wants to give us. So I want to close with this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we were to live like this? Like disciples and not Christians? I hope that here at Branches, and I know Chris, so I know wherever he's going to train other pastors, he's going to be telling them the same thing. We are called to something greater. We're not called to be passive. We're called to be active. And what's going to happen is, is your life is going to become inflamed. And I don't mean in the negative sense. I mean in the sense of you're going to catch fire. And I love what one guy said, because I could imagine all of us on fire. Could you imagine? Even if people would come, we say we're a family expecting guests, right? So we're family. If we're a family of disciples, God is going to be moving. He's going to be molding us. And sometimes it's going to be so smooth, and most of the time it's going to be, oh, that was hard. But he's going to be setting us free. And as we're on fire, as one uh, old school uh, mentor said, he said, if you catch fire, people are going to come to see you burn because they're going to want to know, how can I have that happen to me? We're going to take communion. Could you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I want to share something about uh, communion because you might have missed it. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'll open you up to it. It's in, um, actually, I don't know where I put it. Hold on. It's in, oh, 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul was giving directions. Like I said, he was trying to correct some of the things that were going wrong. And he said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. 
Now I want you to see how many times he says the word Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new agreement. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming something. And this is what you're proclaiming. You're proclaiming the Lord, the Lord's death until he comes. Our master, our boss, our savior, our Lord. So the way it's going to work is we have a table in that corner and a table in that corner. And during the songs, um, there's going to be three of them. At any time you go and um, participate, you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in that. And that is a statement from you in your heart to say, Lord, my boss, my master, the one I want to imitate, the one I want to be conformed to, I take this in remembrance of you. And I trust that you're going to finish the work that you started in me. And maybe this morning is the first time you'll be making that decision. Maybe you're like, hey, I believe, but maybe this is that first time. So maybe this is your first communion. As I'm sitting here tuning my guitar, I can't help but think of this is a good time for us just to pause and to tune our hearts and take some inventory and say, where am I at? Father, tune us all into being disciples of you. As we take communion, we walk into that ritual of taking the bread and the wine. Father, may, may we make that commitment to be disciples, not just calling ourselves Christians, but to say, Lord, I'm, I want to be your disciple. What we heard this morning was a bit overwhelming for me. Um, a mixture of both exciting possibility of Boog's invitation to imagine what it would be to, you can look at it as a list, boxes to check, but I think that would be the wrong sentiment to look at it. Maybe diving in, the good image for it. Um, being swept up in something that is a lot more strong than, let's say, just a fine point of doctrine or a tradition in the slice of church history, but something moving and alive and creating now that's concerned about justice and mercy, the use of power in society. And so I want to invite you, in the light of Jesus and who he is, to think about what power Jesus has given you. If you're a parent, if you're an employee, if you're a kid, if you're disabled, no matter what color you are, you've got power. Maybe not as much as the next person next to you, but you have it. And your choice, what, what are you using that power towards? And in whose name is it being exercised? power to create, the power to be quiet 
when culture says react and argue. The power to forgive, the power to turn the other cheek to give your shirt, to sit in silence with someone who's grieving, um, to comfort a crying child. I mean, these are all things I think most people can do. It's moving for me because I got four kids. <laughs> I don't want it to get sentimental, <laughs> sorry. But the point is, we have it. The question is, are we going outside of our normal migration patterns of a day? If you're a mom, you got shopping to do, professional woman, you got board meetings to attend to, and that's just the other part of our gender that we need so bad as men. But it's the, the reality here is we've, we've got it, and we're invited to use it to create more love, to bring about more peace, life, and wholeness in a truly broken world. So may you be inspired to enjoy that that's already going on in our culture. And may you maybe deviate from your migration pattern that keeps you safe and be open to God's will. I'm using that term. God leading you to do something that's crazy based on what your normal is. God, we're grateful for the morning. We're grateful for the emphasis on community and being together on the basic, smallest, faithful stuff. Doesn't mean you're casting out demons or making the lame walk, but sometimes it's just saying you're loved. And, and other times it's saying, hey, that's not right. Make us a sensitive people to things of mercy and things of justice as it pleases you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have children, I will join you in gathering them. <laughs> Take care. Have a great week.